This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 40. We have with us Laura Elizabeth, who is going to be a speaker at Laracon this year. She's joining us from, is it the UK? Uh, I'm actually in the US right now, but you originally are? the UK, yeah. Okay, very cool. Where are you at in the US right now? Are you just visiting? Uh, yeah, I'm in Virginia. I was just speaking at uh, Revolution Conf, which is in Virginia awesome. Beach uh, last week. So, yeah. So, are you a serial conference speaker? Do you do this often? Uh, kind of. I've done I've done a lot in the last year. Um, it was kind of a little bit by accident. I um, I never saw myself as a conference speaker. It was never something I ever thought I would do. But a few opportunities kind of arose. And then once you start doing a few more seem to come along. And I mean, they're the best fun. So I just I can't say no to them, basically. <laughs> That's cool. And here I am, like, I've always wanted to do conference speaking. And it's like, I've never been able to work up the guts or have a talk for you know, anything, nothing. So it's like, the people who are like, No, nah, I don't really see myself as a conference speaker. They have like engagements, you know, lined up till next year. And the rest of us are like, Oh, just need one. I just want one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard when you're submitting like call for papers and stuff like that. I've only done yeah. that a couple of times. But it's always harder that way than if you get asked you know just outright because yeah it's it's a bit more competitive i guess sure sure that makes sense well for people in the laravel community who might not be familiar with you you're a little bit out of a newcomer a new face to the laravel community so i'd love for people who don't know you to just get an introduction who you are where you're from and what you do yeah so i'm laura elizabeth i'm a designer uh, kind of turned product maker now so traditionally i do design work for clients and I kind of got into the Laravel community because I did the uh, redesign. It's not live yet, but for HelpSpot, which is Ian Landsman's um, SaaS. Um, so I kind of got to know him a little bit. I was working on that and I met him and someone else from, I think it might have been Taylor. Um, mm-hmm. yep. And he, yeah, he asked me if I'd like to, he did my, um, I have a small crash course on design for developers. And I think he took that and said, Hey, would you like to come and do something like this at Laravel conference? And kind of went from there. I I also did the, I designed the uh, landing page for the Laracon online one as well. So there's, it's kind of, I've sort of come into the community from more of a design perspective, but it's been a, it's been really good so far. Everyone's been so friendly. And like I say, it's a pretty big community, actually. I was surprised. It really is. And it's it's kind of surprising. Yeah. And it's a good kind of niche to get into. I feel like designers who kind of find their way into the Laravel community end up getting flooded with a lot of work. I feel like that's been the case with a couple different people. I know uh, Jack McDade, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, his was the same sort of situation. I feel like he designed one thing and then it was like, a couple people asked him, hey, could you design a couple other things? Because Laravel community obviously is made up yeah. of a lot of developers. So people who have the skill of design are a little bit more rare. Uh, so we find one and we just flood them with requests to do to do work for us. Yeah, <laughs> I found the same when I was, um, like I said, I was at MicroConf a couple of months ago. And that's uh, more of a product conference. And someone, mess- so I wasn't speaking, but someone uh, mentioned me on stage and said I-, I helped out with some of their slides or something. And afterwards, I just got inundated with people like, 
you're a designer, you know, can you, uh, I need a designer. And it was uh, pretty cool because I guess in that space, there aren't really many designers. I think a lot of them are developers as well. So yeah, it's, uh, it's good fun. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So speaking on design, you are primarily a designer. Was that, was that your calling from an early age? Did you know that that's what you wanted to do? Is it something you kind of fell in as you um, went in? Kind of. So I... I was always a little bit creative when I was younger, um, so when I was a child and stuff, but I was never really that good at it. So I wasn't like a prodigy. I wasn't like some amazing artist. I like drawing and I liked music and stuff like that. I went to, I, I was going through school and I got to that age where you have to kind of figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure. I always knew I liked creative stuff, but I was like, there's no way I can make a living out of something creative. I'm not an artist. I don't want to be an artist. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do computer programming and I'm just going to get a really good job that's got a good wage and I'm going to do my creative stuff in my spare time. Um, so I did that. I did a year of a um, programming course and I kept getting told off because I was making everything look too pretty. And so I was like, ah, oh. and I was getting really frustrated because I, I was really into like, you know, how things looked and how they worked. And it, I just wasn't really feeling like just the technical course. So I was like, I need to find something that's like a balance because I loved, I loved the problem solving nature of programming and I loved like making things and I loved that certain things had a correct answer that was really nice and with design it's a little bit more ambiguous um, but I really missed that creative side so I went and I did a course in media which had things like film animation graphic design and I did my first graphic design lesson on my first day and I went home to my mum that day and I was like, I want to be a graphic designer. This is 100% what I want to do. And from that day on, I then studied design through college and university, worked at an agency for a year and then went freelance, must have been maybe five or six years ago now and been doing it ever since. So yeah, long winded story, but that's basically how I became to be a designer. Very cool. Yeah, It's always good when you can, when you know sort of what you want to do with the rest of your life when you when you find that thing and you it just clicks and you're like this is this is what is going to you know finance my life and make me happy so it's yeah good and it's a that. big worry when you're young as well you're kind of like you get to this stage and you're kind of like I've got to make some decisions now and I don't really don't feel prepared in terms of what I, how do I know what I want to do for the rest of my life so I feel very very fortunate that I kind of got led down that path and you know I was happy to change things when it wasn't working out for me to find something I really liked because I mean it really is true you spend most of your life working so it's, you got to enjoy it for sure yeah especially when you've got friends who don't know exactly what it is they want to do and they're sort of still trying to figure it out and then you got to be careful you don't fall into this trap where you're going oh am I really wanting to do this all of my friends are off traveling or whatever else yeah. you know it's, it's great that, that you can stick yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. I definitely feel quite fortunate that I'm in that position. Yeah, I remember um, myself going into going from high school to college. It was a big, stressful point in my life because I was at that same kind of juncture. I was like, oh, what do I want to do? And it felt like, you know, it was the decision that was going to be forever. You know, it was like what I decide to do in college is what it is forever. And just to maybe alleviate some of the pressure for those who are kind of at that same point, um, I actually studied secondary math education in college, and I was a math teacher for four years, and I really liked it. It was it was great. Um, 
I loved uh, the relationships with the students and getting to have like those aha moments, you know, where you, you're teaching something and then somebody finally gets it and it clicks. And I really enjoyed that. But I've I kind of found my way into software development and I'm doing that full time now. So, you know, I definitely has always been a passion of mine and something I've done on the side. But I was with you, like never really figured I can make a career out of that. It was something like, oh, I'm not, you know. I do this on the side, but it's not really something I could do as a career. So I, I did the same. I, I taught high school math for four years while I did freelance stuff on the side. Um, uh, but yeah, eventually I just kind of fell into it and, and it uh, made it work. But you are not condemned to spend the rest of your life doing the thing that you studied in college. So if you <laughs> if there's something else that you want to do, folks, go out there and give it a shot. There's plenty of opportunities and, uh, you know, a lot of life to live after college for sure uh, or, yeah. or university or whatever it's called everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. Or if you don't even go to university or college, you know, make it work. Yeah. You find something you like to do and do it. Exactly. And it's never it's never too late to kind of completely change what you do with your life as well. I mean, you know, back then you think, oh my God, I have to make this decision right now and this is it forever. Yep. But, you know, you can change at any time. I would say to, my, I have a few friends in the situation where they don't know what they, they still don't quite know what they want to do and they worry that they're past it now. They're like, you know, I if I want to be like a developer, I should have been doing this since I was 12, you know, because you hear about these people doing it since they're 12. And, you know, you kind of think, well, you can absolutely still learn that now, even if you're, 30, 40, 50, you know, whatever it, it, there's always room to kind of make a change. So I would just say, just go for something that you're interested in. And then if it doesn't work out, switch and go for something else and just keep doing that until you find something you really like. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. So you've, you've had your brief introduction to the Laravel community and now suddenly you'll be speaking at your first Laravel themed conference. Did you want to talk a little bit how, were you approached by by Taylor on the back of the work you did or did you, did you just reach out for the call for papers for the Laravel? Yeah, so um, Taylor reached out to me. He, I have a course on um, teaching developers how to design. Um, it's just a free email course and I think he went through it and he got in touch saying, hey, this would be really good for the Laravel audience. Would you, do you want to come and do a talk? So I'm actually doing one, I'm doing one in the US, one in New York and then in Amsterdam as well. So it's kind of, Two, which is going to be cool. really, really fun in two completely different cities. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much how it came about. He he contacted me um, and then I sort of got into I was looking up Laravel. You know, what's Laravel thing? And I sort of got into this black hole of <laughs> learning about it. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's a it is a deep it is a deep community, right? Like there's so much stuff to learn and there's so many people in it. So lots of projects, lots of people, lots of Twitter handles that you can, uh, you know, have yeah. a huge follow list. Of, of people that are just literally strictly Laravel. It's amazing to me every time I get on Twitter how many people I follow that are all they talk about all day on Twitter. Any, any you know, tweet that they put out is going to be about Laravel. So, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a large sort of sub-community of the PHP world, and uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I so. mean, my own following on Twitter increased quite a lot when it got announced that, uh, you know, the Laravel conference, I was speaking at the Laravel conference. So, yeah, there's definitely a active active community on twitter as well yeah yep for sure um well one of the other things and probably kind of one of the last things we'll ask you here and this is kind of just a fun thing that we're doing we have a playlist that we're putting together for all the people who are traveling to Laracon. so you know michael comes from australia and he has a long journey 
Uh, so this playlist will likely be on loop for him. But we have people from all over the world co- who come to Laracon each year. And so we figured that we would put together a little playlist for them with music recommendations from the speakers who are going to be there. So uh, we will ask you not, you don't have to give us live on air here, your three songs, but we're just kind of compiling a list. So we'll have you send those three songs to Michael and let people kind of guess who contributed what songs, but uh, what sort of music uh, are you into? Are you a Justin Bieber fan? Are you a, uh, you know, Miley Cyrus? Uh, You know, what's your, what's what's your type of music? I have, I guess, an eclectic taste in music. I'm trying to think what songs I would put on there because I'd want to put on songs that I like, but there's a lot of songs I like that I don't know if other people would like. They're a little bit odd. That's okay. We've got some odd ones on there right now, so it's totally fine. But some of, yeah. you know, sometimes the more odd, the more fun it is. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some I can think of. In terms of, like, coming up with a actual genre that I like, I mean, I really... I don't know. There's all sorts. I, I like a lot of older music, stuff that like, my grandparents would listen to. I'm <laughs> quite into the Beatles at the minute, um, just because I watched a documentary on them not long ago. And then I suddenly was like, oh, the Beatles are so cool. So, um, yeah, basically stuff like that. But I'll, I'll I'll put some on there. I'll try to keep it not too annoying because some of my songs I think <laughs> some people would find really annoying. I like, you know, musicals and stuff like that as well. So it's all over yeah well the best part about this playlist is that i'm not telling anyone who owns which song so you can put whatever you want we'll on blame it on and, taylor and people would only ever guess yeah, we'll blame it on yeah, taylor it's all yeah. taylor okay i will yeah i'll i'll put i'll put what my top three favorite songs are at the minute and uh, just don't tell anyone that came from me excellent perfect hey before we let you right. go here um I wanted to give you a chance real quickly to kind of plug some of these projects. I'm looking at your website here. You've got a couple of projects that uh, I'd love for you to be able to mention for people who are kind of interested in learning more. And then just a couple of quick ways. What's the best ways to get in touch with you or what's your handle on Twitter? Those sorts of things. Yeah. So I have a couple of I'm actually getting more and more into products. It's almost my full time um, thing now. So um, I released a product uh, late last year called Client Portal. And it's for freelancers and agencies who want to give their clients like an area on their website so they can log in and see the um, status of their project, all the deliverables. It's like a a leaner version of, you know, Basecamp or something like Basecamp is just really complex for most free Mm -hmm. solo freelancers. So it's just like a really streamlined um, version of that. I also have Design Academy, which I mentioned um, before, which is more along the lines of what my talk's going to be about. So that's teaching developers how to make their designs not look really, really bad. Um, (laughs) And the goal with that is not to turn developers into designers. It's just to kind of equip them with just enough design knowledge that they can maybe do one of their own side projects and not have to hire a designer or do one of their own side projects and have it actually look kind of semi-professional and have it look decent so you know maybe they can start selling it or something and and then later on when they get you know the revenue behind them they can then hire a designer if they want to so um they're kind of my two main things that i've got going on at the minute very cool i think i'm going to sign up for that design academy nice uh i could use some of that advice (laughs) yeah that'd be good there's a bit of that going on in the community as well so it's great timing to have yourself come and give a talk about it and, and just before we do let you go, and on, on the back of what you had said about that, we did have a listener question that was asking, and it may, may be covered in your talk, but just at a high level, I suppose, how do you shift the needle for back-end developers to think in more of a design way? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always going to be 
quite a difficult one because the well, a lot of people think back-end developers think really differently to designers and they see design as some kind of like sort of fluffy thing that's a bit, you know, it's not really got like hard and concrete answers to it. I would say, I don't know, I, I'm not convinced that you can really be amazing at both. So what I would say is if you're a back-end developer and you want to kind of get into design, um, I would just look at design so if you're creating a design, just create something, absolutely anything. And it's probably going to look horrendous the first time. Even when designers design it, I mean, speaking for myself, it looks horrendous the first time. And I would just try to treat it like you're kind of just like you're debugging something, right? So just keep looking over and over it and try to identify where the problems are. Keep an eye out for like well-designed websites. Um, most developers I speak to have a really, really good appreciation for design and they're really good at being able to spot something that's well-designed versus something that's not. And I think that's really key because what developers are also really good at is spotting design that's not only good in visually, but they're, they're able to spot design that's really good technically and you know in terms of like user experience and stuff like that so you know some designs can be beautiful but completely unusable and developers are really good at knowing you know which is which so just keep your eye out for like designs that you like and try to kind of see what this has got that yours doesn't and just kind of keep slowly going over and over and over it and uh, until you create something that you're happy with but design isn't it really isn't as like fluffy and it isn't as you're not born with any kind of talent at all so it's definitely something that's learnable wow i am already excited about that talk this is it's like inspirational right it's like i almost wish and i know there are some of these things right like you talked about like developers like concrete answers which is why so often we like to be told like this is the correct way or this is the quote-unquote best practice right we like to have a prescribed manner in which you solve this type of problem Right. And so I feel like the reason why we're so limited in like the design thing is because, you know, like you said, we we treated it as this kind of like fluffy, ethereal. There is no right way. It's just kind of like these people are so creative. They just kind of come up with a way. But there are some concrete, hard and fast rules with design. Right. There are certain things that you that are they are correct answers to two types of questions in design. Yeah. And so I think, too, if we can think about some of those things, maybe that would help me. I don't know. But. Yeah, I like the idea too of solving it like looking at it like uh, like your debugging code. That's that's really helpful to me. That's a really uh, good parallel uh, because a lot of times in my mind it's like I should just be able to design something and it just pops out and there it is. It's done right and it's it's not quite that easy right. Just like with code, I refactor it like five times you know before I'm finally happy with kind of the design that I've come up with. It's the same way with uh, you know designer design yeah uh, exactly so and it's good to hear yeah and I watch I watch developers and I have the same thoughts with what they do you know if something if something goes wrong I'm like I'm not too good at coding I have a tiny bit of experience in it but if something goes wrong I just freeze up and I'm like this is wrong I'm a terrible I'm a terrible developer I can't do it I'm just not born with being able to like do development right first time and then I watch developers and something goes wrong and they don't freak out they're just like okay what's not what's what needs to be fixed here and they'll just kind of slowly go back and just figure out the problem don't get too worried about it but what what's been an interesting for me is that we both look at each other's crafts in the exact same way and we both actually solve it in the same way it just kind of it feels different I don't know it, it feels hmm. like design is fluffy and to me development feels like just I'm not hardwired to do development but I know that I I can I just I haven't learned enough about like you say, the core basics 
yet. Um, and it's this, exactly the same with design. Yeah. I think the other thing on that and something that was raised to me on Twitter is that developers that understand the that design makes sorry the developers who understand design make it easy to communicate with with the designers and it goes the same in the opposite direction as well which allows everyone to sort of contribute to making design a more collaborative process so that you know that's good from that perspective yeah as well. i agree i think there's um a lot of there's some disconnect you know we've got the whole like should designers code should developers design you know thing going on and i think ultimately people are typically going to be really good at one thing. And the reason they're good at it is because they're more interested in it. It's not because like they're born differently or anything like that. They're just really interested in this one thing. Um, But you can learn enough about someone else's craft in order to be able to work with them better. So a developer could learn enough about design that they don't want to be a designer, but they can work with designers. And I think the best teams really happen when designers and developers work really closely together and appreciate each other's craft. And they're both really good at what they do, but they can they respect each other's craft enough to learn just a little bit about each and then they can work together and figure stuff out. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I like it. I'm really, really excited now after this interview to, <laughs> to hear your talk. I am as well. Because I am definitely one of those developers who, as you say, can see see a good design but doesn't necessarily get how to make it. Yeah. So Well, I hope it does it justice. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Lives <laughs> Sounds <expectations>. good. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks so much for coming on, Laura, and uh, look forward to seeing you and hanging out in New York at Laracon this year. Yeah, can't wait. Thank you so much. Thanks. Cheers. Okay, great. So we have a few other things we wanted to talk about this morning. It's actually a really good week for Laravel News. We've got, let's see, one, two, three releases, dot releases since the last time we recorded. Uh, We have two new community sites that are extremely helpful and very well done uh, by two large figures in the community. And then we have some really cool packages and tutorials that were released on Laravel News in the last couple of weeks. So let's jump right in. I think we have about 10 minutes left here on this one. So we're going to try and fit it all in. Let's go into the Laravel dot releases and start with 5.4.25. Let's go in order here and talk about a couple of the features that were added here. So 5.4.25, we have the factory builder, which is now macroable. Michael, you have used macros more than I have, and there's plenty of good articles out there. In fact, I believe that this was talked about a little bit on that 20% time podcast. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, yeah. Can you give us any insights into where we might use this or should we just have one of those guys on let me see if one of them is available (laughs) okay well here's what we're going to do i'm going to try and get in touch with one of these two guys and see if we can have one of them on to talk about this macro macroable factory builder but if in the case that we can't i'm not going to pretend like i know why it's amazing i know it's helpful but we'll keep moving we got enough stuff to cover anyway okay um, the other thing in 5.4.25 that was released is a plain text alternative view for markdown mailables so there is different, you can send like different payloads in your, in your mail messages. There is, if you've ever had an, an email where it says, if you can't display this email in your browser, click here for the you know, HTML version. That may be because your 
mail client is kind of disabling some of the HTML features that may have been sent through with the email. So a lot of times it's very helpful to have a text alternative view that people can select which one they want to look at. Do they want to look at the HTML view? Do they want to look at the text view? And so now in 5.4.25, you can pass in addition to a markdown mailable, you can pass an alternative text only view, which is helpful and nice for the reasons I just listed. So 5.4.26 is next. Michael, will you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the bits that's gone into 5.4.26 is um, adding the ability to use the null safe operator in your query builder operations. So this means that you can use, I guess it's called the spaceship operator in PHP. But what this allows you to do is to do a comparison like equals or less than or greater than or whatever using this this null safe operator so what that means is that it will actually account for null as a value in your database as opposed to doing a a comparison that that might give you unexpected results so normally where i would use i'm just trying to think of a practical example of where i would so like I do, I use null a lot in my databases where it makes it really easy to do like is null checks Mm -hmm. instead of having to, because that's like a built-in check. You know what I mean? Is null, where is null? Instead of having to check to see like, okay, let's trim this. Isn't an empty string? You know, is there some weird little spaces that made it in there or something? You know, it's easier for me to just compare null. Does this help me with that at all? Yeah, so the, the null safe operator works essentially like the equal operator, but will return a one rather than null if both of the uh, comparisons are null and a zero instead of null if one of them is null. So equals would, would do some less than expected things if you were just using an equals comparison. So it seems like it's a it's like a comparison operator that in my mind would normally return like a boolean but it, in, it includes null instead of just 1 and 0 right 1 being true 0 being false it also includes null yeah, it's a bit, right it's a bit smarter about using the null or or making comparisons against a value in your database that is null okay so you know it's like null plus 1 it it, it will return 0 instead of null because that way it gives you a better indication of of what the result of that operation is rather than just, okay. you know, like divide by zero kind of thing. I don't think I understand it anyway. I, I probably need to do a little bit more research yeah. on this. Because this is a PHP 7 thing, right? And, and yeah, no, no, this it's is called, in MySQL. Okay, right. The one that's that's being pushed into the framework here is adding this this null safety operator into the, uh, into the query builder. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, then we have 5.4.27. There was really only one notable feature there. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah. So this was adding a diff associ method onto the collection class. So diff associ basically works in a similar way to the diff method that already exists on the collection, except the comparison will respect both the keys and the values. So where the diff will do a comparison on the values only, Diff Associ will take into account the keys as well as the values. Yeah. I've run into a couple times. Normally, what I'll do is I'll just fall back to the some of the PHP native functions. If I need to do that on my collection, I'll just I'll just on the end of it tag out a two array method on the very end. And then I'll just fall back to using, you know, a, a native array math uh, array methods uh, in the PHP language. So uh, it's helpful to have it in the collection class. Um, yeah, it means so you can chain cool. it together, of course. Right, exactly. And it saves you from exactly. having to macro it in on, on a project-by-project project basis as well. Yes. Um, 
Something that's been talked a little bit about in the community already, but is something we wanted to make sure we noted on here, uh, is that in Laravel 5.5, there is this new feature called Laravel Package Auto Discovery. So if you've been using Laravel for any amount of time, what you know is that there are plenty of packages out there available for you to consume in the Laravel framework. And many of those packages come with service providers that will bind the service that you're trying to pull into your uh, into your project. Uh, it'll bind those into the container or do some setup steps or something like that in the service provider. A lot of them will also ship with a facade to allow you to do uh, service location in your application really easily using some static interface. So you would, if you were creating a PDF, you might pull in something like DOM PDF uh, Laravel and what you can do is then if you register the facade alias, then you can in your application called PDF colon colon create and pass in a string of HTML or something like that, or pass in a view or whatever. So those are kind of the two things that you usually have to register in addition to pulling it uh, the package in using Composer Require. So there will be step two, step three would be go ahead and copy and paste this string into your list of service providers in your app.php, and then go ahead and copy and paste this string to uh, create the new facade alias in your uh, aliases array in your app.php class or whatever it is. Uh, so what this does is this essentially takes all of that and hides it behind the scenes. Uh, you would no longer have to do those last two steps. All you'd have to do to consume a package in Laravel 5.5 is to do the composer require step. And then the way that this kind of works behind the scenes is that there is some hidden magic in composer.json. And there is if you've ever looked into it, there's a bunch of stuff that I've really never used that Laravel does use, like the after install scripts and, and things like that. But there is another key section called extra. And Laravel is utilizing that section to allow package creators to auto load in their service provider and facades. So in that little extra section there, uh, if you were the guy who's creating DOM PDF for Laravel, uh, then you would just update your composer.json in your project to include the path to your packages service provider and then your facades location file for that. And it will just auto load those in when you uh, do a composer require. So it's going to make uh, using packages a lot easier. It will take a little bit of work on the part of the package developers to, to add this in, but it's pretty trivial. There's just a providers section and an aliases section that you add into the extra on your composer.json and you're all done. So should be really good. Hopefully a lot of the popular packages take the task on of, of pushing this in. And if not, I'm sure there'll be lots of pull requests uh, from people in the community. Yeah, a lot of easy pull requests as well. Because as you say, it's just yeah. adding a couple of extra keys into the composer.json file. So I have done it on a package that I released earlier this last week yeah so that's 5.5 something cool to look forward to uh, it should be um should be good okay we have had two different community sites released in the last two weeks here mike i'm gonna let you pick one and talk about it all right uh well the first one is a a deep dive into the laravel core which has been put together on a i guess it'll be an ongoing basis from muhammad saeed um, and he's basically put this together to share notes on the internals of Laravel core of packages, as well as any of the technologies behind those different components. And his goal is essentially to help people understand how things work under the hood of the framework and also to serve as a reminder for himself when he needs to look up something that he's 
worked on before, but maybe, you know, as, as a lot of us do, we'll figure something out and then we'll come back to it a couple of months later or a couple of weeks later or whatever, and we've forgotten how it works. So this is a great example of sharing what you're learning with the wider community. And, you know, anything that you learn is always going to be useful to someone else at some point. Even if that's you, put it on the internet somewhere for someone to read. Yep. It's like free advertising for yourself too. If you have stuff out there and it gets picked up as something that people come back to, it's pretty cool. It becomes a, uh, like a staple in the community. I have one particular blog post that, that is that way. I get people asking me stuff about it on a semi-regular basis and it's been out there for a while. And it's funny how many times people just hit it while they're, while they're doing a Google search for something. And it uh, ends up being one of the top results. And there you go. You never know when that blog post that you write is going to be able to help a, a lot of people or just even a few people. So I, I there's a couple of things I really like about this site. The I think it's really cool, the symbolism that's kind of used here, because, you know, calling digging into the internals of code, we, we've called it a deep dive, right, or code diving or or whatever uh, for a while. But Muhammad actually does free diving. It's like one of his big hobbies. We had him on a couple shows ago and he, I think he said he can go down 60 meters yeah. was as far as yeah. he can, or maybe it was 30 meters or 20. I can't remember. I think it was 20 meters, which is 60 feet. I think is what it was. Something yeah, like it was that. A, it was a fair but way. In any case, yeah, he uses a lot of like parallels, even in the design of his site. So there'll be a couple different sections to particular deep dives that he'll do. So like the exception handler at zero, he has a, he has kind of three sections and it starts at like, okay, zero meters before the dive and then five meters reporting exceptions and then 10 meters rendering exceptions. So it's kind of like you're going, you're descending into the code and he's got the different sections listed out. So it's pretty cool. And it's been really fun just to just to read through there. It's super well written and you can tell he's put a ton of time into it. Uh, it's been really helpful. Even not even not like coming to it at a time where like I need these mm. things, just kind of reading through it. It is apparent how much time and work and care and thought goes into these things that are done behind the scenes that you never see. Yeah. Just the decisions that have had to be made and really how large and sprawling the Laravel framework itself is. How many different pieces there are to these and uh, how it would be possible for somebody as skilled as Taylor and Muhammad, how, you know, how they could possibly spend their full time days working on this. When you start looking at these things, it becomes pretty apparent that there's a lot of time. Obviously, we all know that, but yeah. uh, it's just cool to see behind the curtains on these things. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as good as the documentation of the framework is, the documentation is on how to use it. But this is really starting to look, as you say, behind the curtains, it's figuring out how those things work. So at the time of this recording, there's six different components that are covered. Uh, so the queue system, how the exception handler works, how the task scheduler works. It goes into a bit deeper look at how the package auto discovery works, the notification system, and and also how, you know, getting an understanding of Redis and how that behaves and how it's used in Laravel. So there is a, a mailing list on, on the website, divinglaravel.com, which you can subscribe to and get updates on, on when new deep dive topics come up. So let's take a look at the other site, which is created by Chris Fidel, Fideliper on Twitter. And he has a site called Servers for Hackers, where he has, I think, I think he has a book, Servers for Hackers. Yeah. I know he has a course that he's working on um, or has released. Does he have a Docker course? Yeah, the course? shipping Docker one as well. Yeah. 
Shipping Docker. Yeah. And this is a free course. It's called Performant Laravel. So this is a course on quick performance wins that you can implement in your Laravel application. And all you have to do is sign up with your email address and get immediate access. It's already done. And so he's got, let's see how many different ones that he have. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 different videos that are out there. I've watched, I think I, I started watching on the object caching uh, so I think there's four videos just on object caching and it's been pretty interesting to go through that. I, we use caching in a lot of our applications, but, um, he goes through a couple different things and it's so interesting just seeing other people code. They're not super long videos. They're anywhere between three and like 14 or 15 minutes. But even if while you're watching it, you don't pick up anything new from the particular topic you're watching, you pick up new things from how they code. Yeah. There was, he expressed a timestamp. Whenever I need a timestamp, I always jump to using Carbon, which is just my default for anything timestamps because timestamps are such a pain. But he had a couple different ways that he was doing timestamps, which were really interesting that didn't require that you use Carbon. So in the case that I'm ever in a non-Laravel application and need to do that, it's a really, you know, the way that he did it was just very intelligent. And you could tell he'd done it a million times because mm -hmm. he just whipped right through that code. But uh, there was another thing where he used... Um, VSF print, I think. Yeah. V, uh, VS printf. Yeah. yeah, VS printf. And um, I've, I, I usually don't use that. I actually hit him on Telegram and asked him a couple questions about that too. But it's neat. Like that had nothing to do with what I was actually learning from the course, which is uh, a lot that you can learn from there. But if for nothing else, it's really interesting just to watch somebody else code and pick up little tips from how they do things as well. Yeah. Um, but it's free and it's fast to watch and you get some really good benefit from doing that. So I would definitely sign up for that and then check out his other uh, courses and his other things that he's offering as well. Chris does a great job. He's been a part of the community for a very long time. And so uh, very thankful for him and for putting this together. Yeah, it's interesting you point out that, you know, watching other people develop because you are correct in that everyone, everyone has learned to code in a different way. And I guess it's a little... It's a little bit different now with things like Laracast where such a huge part of the community is learning to write their code in a very similar way under the, you know, careful teachings of, of Jeffrey Way. But for those who have been around for a, a lot longer and they've developed their own ways, it's good to sit down and sort of look at what they, they do and how they do it. And, you know, as you say, that vSprintf thing, I saw... Adam Wathen used it recently. And I've been a big user of Sprintf and Printf for a long, long time. And he's right. If you can pass in array rather than just a comma-separated string, it makes it much easier to read and write. So it's those little things that you wouldn't think of and that, you know, that may be your takeaway from the video if you if you know the, the rest of the content or you've got a good grasp of what's going on. So, yeah, always cool. Yeah, and I think for those V Sprint F and for Sprint F and things like that, I was always like, what is the what is the relationship between the method name and what is it actually doing? And it's it's easier to say it Sprint F instead of S Print F, but it's string print format yeah. is what it is, right? S Print F. So it's uh, a string that you pass in and then print it out according to this format. And then vSprint F is take a format and a set of strings that are in an array and print it out. Uh, in that particular way. In the, the case that Chris was using it in, he was just passing in uh, the format that he was using was just joining them all together. Mm. So it was just like percent s, percent s, percent s, percent s, percent s. You know, he just passed in an array. In that case, I asked him, I said, is there any reason why you wouldn't just do an implode on this, just pass in an array and then do an implode with like a 
empty string. And he's like, nope, this is just how I've always done it. And it's familiar and comfortable. It's like, oh, okay. So that's what I, I that's what was my question for him is I use implode a lot when I'm trying to join strings together yeah. and then just with the separator or whatever. Um, Even just saying that, but, I'd never uh, thought to use implode and just creating an array on the fly. So yeah, there you go. I learned something today. Yeah, that's what I... <laughs> That's what I typically do. Yeah. Um, especially if you're just joining strings yeah. together, it makes sense for me. There we go. Okay. We've got a couple packages we wanted to mention uh, real quickly as well. Sometimes we have time to do these. Today, we actually don't have time. I know we're already over, but uh, there were some cool ones released this week uh, that were of note. So we wanted to make sure you uh, all knew about that. So let's start with collect.js. This was a package that has been developed. This is not a Laravel package. This is something that you would install with NPM. But what it does is it basically takes all of the familiar methods and chaining that you are used to when using collections in Laravel, and it brings it to JavaScript. So it's a port of Laravel collections to JavaScript. So it doesn't have any dependencies and it makes working with arrays and objects in JavaScript much more familiar if you are primarily a, a backend sort of guru. So you have, you know, I think basically all of the same methods, if not exact parity. I mean, in, in addition to all the normal ones, you also have collection tap. So if that's been added, which is pretty recent, um, it seems like they're probably keeping up with the different methods that are being added to the collection class. Uh, but you might want to check that out if you're a person who needs to use collections or collection pipelines uh, on the front end. And uh, it got a lot of retweets and stars and hearts and likes on Facebook and on Twitter when Eric uh, put a blog post out for it. So it seems like there's a lot of community interest, which is cool. I, I don't I don't typically tend to use a bunch of the stuff like this on the front end. Um, I usually just kind of map and, and reduce. Mm. And the stuff I do is pretty simple on the front end side of things. I do most of the kind of intensive collection operations on my server side. How about you, Michael? Yeah, yeah, we spoke a little bit about it earlier. And I'm, I'm the same as yourself in that I would tend to do most of that kind of stuff on, on the server side and not I try and keep my front-end concerns as simple as possible and you know i wouldn't go too much further than what's available in es6 normally but i can certainly see and obviously there's a lot of uh, buzz around this particular package so there's obviously a, a want for it yeah i suppose as well like we're neglecting the fact that there is no js out there so this is not just for front end, I suppose, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess our our brains are kind of stuck in in server side mode be, uh, with PHP, but obviously there's also server side when you're talking about JavaScript stuff too. So this could be really helpful for people using Node as their kind of backend server, yeah. and uh, or even just people that aren't using, you know, they're not in control of the backend; they're just manipulating data that's coming from an external API, I guess. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Good point. So in any case, check that out. Uh, I'm sure you will find it very useful. There is a blog post up on Laravel News to help you get started with that. Uh, we also have, there was a tutorial pushed out there by Eric Barnes this week talking about invisible recaptcha. Could you kind of, Michael, give us a quick introduction to what a recaptcha is for those who might not be familiar and then talk about how google has kind of improved that and then about this little tutorial on how to get started with that sure so the captcha was was basically a way of verifying that 
that whoever was filling out your form was not a robot. So it was around preventing spam submissions and things like that where they were a big problem for a long time. You'd get crawlers and spam bots and so on and so forth that were just going and spamming contact forms and things like that. So recapture was a a way of basically verifying those users by having a simple button that just you click on it and the button says, I'm not a robot, and that was proving you are a human. Now, the science and, and whatever else behind that, I couldn't tell you. Like, it, it's always... And they won't tell you either. That's right. They, they certainly won't tell us, but it's always verified that I'm human, so that's that's good. I wouldn't want to have any Westworld situations going on. <laughs> but with... Spoiler that's alert. That's right. But with uh, the invisible recapture, it's a new version. So, there's it's no longer an embedded capture box for users to interact with. There's no, I'm not a robot button. There's none of those, you know, click all the... Or the pictures that have a car or a, or a street sign in them anymore. There's just a badge on the page that shows the user, you know, that the, the technology is being used on the site, and and that's basically all there is. So it it handles all of this in the background for you, which is nice. We you know we've sort of come full circle in in sort of presenting the form because those buttons are always a, a bit of a hassle, especially if you're using password managers and things like that. That tend to submit the form as soon as they paste the credentials in there for you. So Yeah, what this package basically allows you to do is it allows you to make the configuration of this as easy as possible. And if you think about how this works, really, if you know what a CSRF token is, a CSRF token is something that's generated server side and then pushed to the front end and passed through with your uh, form submission. And then on the back, the server checks and says, hey, is this key that they sent through in the form submission the same as the one that I generated on the on the back end when we rendered this form? And if it is, it says, okay, good. We can confirm that you are actually visiting this form and submitting it from our website. And if not, then it rejects it. That's kind of what a re- the CAPTCHA does is it will generate a code for you Uh, on the front end after it's made sure that the person who's submitting it is in fact a human it will submit it through with your with your form request and then what ends up happening on the back end is it will take that that code it will go ask google hey did we create this code for this person on this website and google will respond yes or no and then it will accept or reject that form submission so there are a couple steps to getting that set up and this package makes it really easy to do that and uh, I'm using this in another location with the one where you actually have to click the button, uh, the robot button. And uh, it wasn't terrible to get set up, but it, it took a little bit. And so this takes some of the pain out of that. So if you're interested in using uh, recaptchas or have the business requirements to do so, I would definitely check this out and give it a try. And it's really as simple as doing the steps that you would do for a validate or a validation after receiving a request. And all you have to do is add a new, uh, instead of like required, you could just put CAPTCHA and that will do the validation check for you. So it's basically a little validator helper is what it is. But there you go. It's a, there is a post out on Laravel News which again, will walk you through the steps to get started and how you can consume it. There was one other thing we wanted to talk about, one other package, but uh, I'm going to let you guys check it out on Laravel News. It is called Party Line. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Uh, my apologies. We were not able to get Caleb or Daniel on to talk about the uh, model factory uh, macroable stuff. So maybe some other time. It is Father's Day and I hear my children running around upstairs. So I'm going to go <laughs> Where's Daddy? celebrate Where's this Daddy? wonderful day with them. Yeah, they're like, where is he? So I'm going to I'm gonna head up and do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. 
Uh, if you have any comments or feedback, please feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Laravel News or on our own personal Twitter accounts. If you liked the episode, feel free to rate it up in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be amazing. It's Father's Day. Five stars, guys. Come on. Here we go, the big URL. You can find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 40. I think that's it. We good? We good. We signing off? We're signing off. All right. All right. Where's your, do you have a foreign language goodbye for us today? I do. It's not really foreign. It's English. But because we spoke with Laura and she is English, the only thing that I could come Cheer- up with is cheerio. Cheerio, mate. You can't put mate on the end of cheerio. It's, not, it's, like, it's like mixing. It's like mixing worlds there. You don't think you could do that? Well, we are technically a convict state of of the UK, so you might get away with it. Oh gosh, <laughs> Aussie history. All right, man. Until next time, take it easy. See ya. Bye. Very cool. The other site that we wanted to, and actually cut that very cool. I'm trying to stop saying that because I noticed I say that too much. Very cool. Very cool. <sighs> okay. You're going to have to stop saying it because I'm not cutting that out of, of when I'm editing. You are. You are cutting that out. Because um, uh, otherwise people are going to be like, oh, he does say that a lot. Oh, that's annoying. All right. <laughs>